Section 63 of the Final Report of the Advisory Committee on Human Radiation Experiments. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For further information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by William Jones. Final Report of the Advisory Committee on Human Radiation Experiments, Case Studies, Chapter 12, Part 5, Resettlement of Rongelap. Between March 1954 and mid-1956, the Rongelap population on Ijet was followed medically with visits from a U.S. medical team at six months, one year, and every year thereafter. According to a preliminary report on the two-year medical survey, there has been little illness among the people, and none of the clinical entities noted in the Rongelap people appear to be related in any way to radiation effect. By late 1956, about a dozen radiological surveys of Rongelup and neighboring atolls had been conducted to determine contamination levels. On February 27, 1957, the Atomic Energy Commission informed the commander of the Pacific Fleet that resettlement was approved despite lingering residual radiation, most pertinently in the food supply. This decision, which was consistent with international pressure for resettlement, was made even though, in 1954, U.S. medical officers had recommended that the exposed Rungalapis, quote, should be exposed to no further radiation, external or internal, with the exception of essential diagnostic and therapeutic x-rays for at least 12 years. If allowance is made for unknown effects of surface dose and internal deposition, there probably should be no exposure for rest of natural lives. Close quote. However, the displaced Rongalapis were eager to return to their homeland. In March 1956, Dr. Conard wrote to Dr. Charles L. Dunham, director of the AEC's Division of Biology and Medicine, that, quote, we are committed to return the people to their homes, and that is their express wish, close quote. In June 1957, a final resettlement radio survey was made from the air. Gordon Dunning, an AEC health physicist, wrote that he would have preferred a full survey, but that, quote, it appears we will have to settle for the external readings only, close quote. The exposed Rongelap people and 200 other Rongelapis who were not on the atoll at the time of the Bravo shot were returned to their home islands at the end of June. The advisory committee has not been able to learn why Dunning's advice to carry out a more thorough land-based survey was not heeded. A 1957 project report notes that while the radioactive contamination of Rongelap Island is considered perfectly safe for human habitation, the habitation of these people on this island will afford most valuable ecological radiation data on human beings. Nevertheless, the advisory committee does not conclude that the resettlement decision was motivated by AEC research goals. From 1954 on, the U.S. researchers recognized the importance of the opportunity that had been presented to gather data on radiation effects. However, we have seen no evidence, including this report, that convincingly demonstrates that research goals took priority over treatment 
in a way that would expose the populations to greater than minimal risk. Apart from the radiation deposited by the Bravo shot, there is evidence that later bomb tests also contributed to the overall radiation level on Ronkelap. For example, a January 1957 letter from Dr. Edward Held, the director of a University of Washington group conducting ecological studies for the Joint Task Force, said that activity levels in the water at Rongelap were higher in July 1956 than the levels obtained at earlier visits, and the best evidence seems to indicate that the increase is due to the recontamination of Rongelap from the 1956 series of weapon tests. The letter goes on to say, quote, the decay of the newly added radioactivity is such that it will soon be insignificant when compared with that from the 1954 series. Close quote. Atmospheric testing of nuclear weapons was ended in 1963 by international agreement. Post-resettlement medical follow-up. After the population returned to Rongelap in 1957, Dr. Conard visited annually with the medical team from Brookhaven National Laboratory. The team's primary mission, according to Dr. Conard, quote, was to treat the people. I don't think at any time the motivation was anything other than the treatment of the effects of radiation, close quote. He added, however, that, quote, we also were trying to get as much information as we could into the medical literature. We knew that we were dealing with an area that was unexplored in human beings, and we wanted to find out as much as we could about, close quote, the effects of radiation exposure resulting from fallout from a nuclear explosion. Part 2 After their return to their native island in 1957, the Rongelapis continued to be monitored annually by the Brookhaven teams. On Uterik, exams were carried out every three years, then annually, with the appearance of thyroid abnormalities. The examinations included complete physicals, blood tests, examinations of reproductive effects, including fertility, miscarriages, stillbirths, observable birth defects, and genetic studies, growth and development studies of children, thyroid function tests, and palpation, and studies of absorption, metabolism, and excretion of radioisotopes. In addition to the annual exams conducted in the Marshalls in 1957, some Marshallese were flown from their islands to Argonne National Laboratory in Chicago, where a whole-body counter and other advanced equipment was available. When Marshallese developed medical problems that required treatment in the United States, such as thyroid nodules requiring surgery, they were sent to Metropolitan General Hospital in Cleveland, or to other hospitals. One 18-year-old male was treated in 1972 at the National Institute of Health and at a Western Reserve University teaching hospital for leukemia, which proved fatal. In our search of documents related to the Brookhaven Medical Program, the Advisory Committee has found only two examples of studies that were not primarily intended to benefit the individual participants. In one, a chileating effect, EDTA, normally administered shortly after internal radiation contamination to remove radioactive material, was administered seven weeks after exposure. 
The stated rationale was that the agent would mobilize and make detection of isotopes easier, even though it was realized that the procedure would have limited value at this time. Because there was virtually no therapeutic benefit envisioned, it appears the primary goal of this study was to measure radiation exposure for research purposes, although the knowledge may have been helpful in the clinical care of the patient. In the second experiment, a radioactive tracer, chromium-5-1, was used to tag red blood cells in ten unexposed wrangelapes to measure their red blood cell mass. The purpose was to determine whether the anemia that had been observed among Marshallese was an ethnic characteristic or due to their radiation exposures. The tracer dose used would have posed a very minimal risk, but it was clearly not for the benefit of the ten subjects themselves. The data could, however, have benefited Marshallese exposed as a result of the Bravo explosion. No documentation addressing whether the consent was sought is available for either experiment. The AEC was responsible only for continuing studies of the Marshallese to detect radiation effects and for medical care required for radiation-related effects, while the Trust Territory Government under the Department of the Interior was responsible for general medical care. But this appears to have been a meaningless distinction to the Marshallese. Quote, All they knew, Dr. Cronkite told advisory committee staff, is that something had happened to them, and they wanted to be taken care of, very logically. Close quote. Often, Dr. Cronkite noted, the members of the Brookhaven team did take care of non-radiation-related health problems. Physicians being what they are, he said, you see disease, and there's something you can do about it. You'd like to take care and help people. The Brookhaven team sometimes included a dentist, because severe dental problems had been observed. The dentist mostly did extractions and a little restoration. According to Dr. Cronkite, the Marshallese appreciated getting dental care because they were getting something they had never had before in their lives, and they liked it. Although the extractions appear to have been done for therapeutic or prophylactic purposes, the extracted teeth were analyzed for radioactive content. Primary care, however, remained inadequate. There were serious epidemics of poliomyelitis, influenza, chickenpox, and pertussis, all of which, according to Dr. Conard, were imported into the marshals by the U.S. medical teams. The epidemics were severe, with high mortality rates, and could have been prevented by the use of available vaccines. The AEC insisted that primary care be left to the trust territory, which had neither the personnel nor the equipment to provide adequate services. Dr. Hugh Pratt, who succeeded Dr. Conard in 1977, wrote as late as December 1978, quote, The Marshall Islands medical system under the trust territory is underfinanced. The professional staff is undertrained and overworked. Critical supplies are usually not available, close quote. By 1958, Dr. Conard was aware of Marshallese dissatisfaction with the annual exams, and wrote to Dr. Dunham, I found that there was a certain feeling among the Rongelap people that we were doing too many examinations, blood tests, etc., which they do not feel necessary, particularly since we did not treat many of them. 
Dr. Hicking and I got the people together and explained that we had to carry out all the examinations to be certain they were healthy, and only treated those we found something wrong with. I told them they should be happy, so little treatment was necessary, since so few needed it, etc., etc. Perhaps the next trip we should consider giving more treatment, or even placebos. Also, in 1958, Edward Held, the University of Washington professor involved in environmental surveys of the islands, wrote to Dr. Conard about a meeting he had with Amata, son of a paramount chief of the Marshals, in which Amata said the Marshallese were apprehensive about being stuck with needles. Amata, who is now president of the Republic of the Marshall Islands, asked about the need for continued medical examinations and Dr. Held told him that he should talk to Dr. Conard. But Held also wrote that there have been medical benefits not connected with radiation which have resulted from the medical surveys. He added that Amata agreed this was true. The annual exams given to the people of Rongelap were described by Conrad Coutrade, a Brookhaven physician resident in the islands from 1975 to 1976, from the Marshallese point of view, each march a large white ship arrives at your island. Doctors step ashore, lists in hands of things to do and people to see. Each day a jeep goes out to collect people for examinations, totally interrupting the normal daily activities. Each person is given a routing slip, which is checked off when things are done. They are interviewed by a Marshallese, then examined by a white doctor who does not speak their language, and usually without the benefit of a Marshallese man or woman interpreter. Their blood is taken, they are measured, and at times subjected to body scans. Eventually Dr. Conard tentatively arranged for the AEC to pay the Utrecht participants $100 each for their inconvenience. A Marshallese who acted as a translator for the Brookhaven team said that people didn't believe Dr. Conard. According to this man, they began to say, You people coming back every two years to just do the experiments on us like guinea pigs. According to Dr. Pratt, some of the distrust of Dr. Conard, at least among the people of Utrecht, was the fact that he predicted that there would be no cases of thyroid carcinoma in this population, and one occurred. Dr. Cotredi wrote that for twenty-two years the people have heard Dr. Conard and other doctors tell them not to worry, that the dose of radiation received at the island was too low to cause any harmful effects. However, it has been found that there is as much thyroid cancer in Utrecht as at Rongelap, three cases each. The official explanation for the high incidence of thyroid cancer at Utrecht is unknown at present. Yet in the people's mind, the explanation is that it is a radiation effect despite what the doctors have said for twenty years. In 1961, Dr. Dunham wrote an open letter to the exposed people of Rongelap in which he explained the need for medical follow-up. Dr. Dunham specified that one reason was the health care of the exposed population, but that the other was of no direct value to you the Rongelap population. This is the only instance we found in which a U.S. official explicitly says research is being conducted that has no direct benefit to the Marshallese population under the care of the Brookhaven doctors. The letter continued. 
Quote, the health studies help us to understand better the kinds of sickness caused by radiation. The United Nations has a special scientific committee to study these things, and the information we get from our work here is made available to that committee and to the whole world. This letter was rescinded before it was sent, however. Although it was read once over the radio, the broadcast probably did not reach the Rongelap people, since there are only three radios on the island. Courts Ulahan, the AEC's deputy general counsel, apparently requested the letter be rescinded, although the reason for the request is unclear. The district administrator of the Marshall Islands, William Finale, complied with the request, and the letter was never published. Many complaints resulted from the fact that the U.S. researchers had difficulty communicating with the Marshallese, most of whom did not speak English. Information about risk, countermeasures, and radiation was not easily explained to the Marshallese, and cultural differences made it difficult for the researchers to appreciate relevant Marshallese practices and customs. According to Dr. Bond, an early member of the medical team, the Brookhaven doctors did not believe that they needed to obtain consent for treatment or to conduct studies related to treatment. The Brookhaven team offered needed medical care. Therefore, despite complaints, the Marshallese requested extension of the medical program provided to the Rongelap and Uteric people to include more general medical care and to include other islands and atolls. Thyroid abnormalities, in addition to the one fatal case of leukemia, have been the most significant late effect of radiation among the Marshallese. These endpoints appear to have received both extensive study and appropriate treatment. As thyroid abnormalities began to appear in the uteric population, the Brookhaven team felt a need to establish a baseline in an unexposed Marshallese population. Over the years, members of the Iluk control population, at best an imperfect control population because of their exposure, had immigrated or died and had been lost to follow-up. This population was too small to provide an adequate baseline, so the Brookhaven team conducted surveys of 354 people at Likiep and Wocha Atolls in 1973 and 76. They also examined more than 900 Rongelap and Uteric people who were not on their home islands during Bravo. It is likely that many, if not most, of the controls selected had some radiation exposure resulting from the bomb tests. During the early 1970s there were increasing complaints about and resistance to participation in the medical surveys coupled with the continuing appearance of thyroid abnormalities, including their development in the less exposed Uteric population. There were also growing numbers of people from Rongelap and Uteric who, as a result of thyroid surgery or reduced thyroid function, needed thyroid medication and indications that those on medication were not adequately complying with their therapeutic regimen. As a consequence of all these events, Brookhaven expanded its staff and medical care programs in the Marshalls in the mid-1970s, including, for the first time, primary care for a number of conditions not thought to be radiation-related. Full-time resident staff was increased. 
1973, Brookhaven stationed a full-time physician in the marshals. Quote, his primary responsibilities included a monitoring the thyroid treatment program b visiting rongelap uterich and bikini atolls for health care purposes every three or four months and c assisting the trust territory medical services with the care of rongelap and uterich patients at the hospitals at ebeya and mayuro in nineteen seventy four the researchers conducted extensive screening for diabetes, a non-radiation-related condition, in order to determine the impact of diabetes on the population and form the basis for development of a program for treatment and management of this significant problem, which affects 17% of the population. In 1976, a new agreement provided for Brookhaven to provide examinations and health care for all Marshallese living on Rongelap and Uterich when they made their visit, and for the resident Brookhaven physician to assist in the care of Rongelap and Uterich patients at the hospitals in Abeya Island, in Kwajalein Atoll, and Mayuro, the capital of the Marshall Islands, in the Mayuro Atoll. In 1977, an extensive program to diagnose and treat intestinal parasites was carried out. By 1978, administrative responsibility in the Trust Territory Government shifted to the individual island groups. The Marshallese, at this point, took responsibility for general health care. While the 1947 Trusteeship Agreement provided for health care for the Marshall Islanders, the Department of the Interior carried out this responsibility mainly in an oversight capacity. The Department of Energy carried on the programs of its predecessor agencies for treating radiation-related illnesses in the people of Rongelap and Uterich. During this period, the Brookhaven medical team often treated non-radiogenic as well as radiogenic medical conditions. In 1985, Expressing concern that radioactivity in the food chain represented a significant health hazard, the people of Rongelap rejected the Department of Energy's advice that they stay on their island. At their own request, they were evacuated on the Greenpeace ship Rainbow Warrior to Mayeto Island in Kwajalein Atoll, where they remain today. In 1994, the National Research Council published a report that, among other things, reviewed food chain data collected and analyzed by Lawrence Livermore National Laboratory. According to this report, on the basis of current radiation dose estimates, there is no expectation that any medical illness due to exposure to ionizing radiation will occur in any members of the resettlement population of the island of Rongelap from either intake of native food or environmental contact. However, the report recommended that no categorical assurance be given the people of Rongelap that their annual exposure upon returning would be less than the 100 millirem limit agreed to in a 1992 Memorandum of Understanding between the Republic of the Marshall Islands and the United States. Moreover, the report recommended an initial diet in which half the food consumed would be from non-native sources, and that no food be gathered from the northern islands of Rongelap and Rongerik atolls. In 1986, a compact of free association 
went into effect between the United States and the Republic of the Marshall Islands. The compact established a $150 million fund to compensate the Marshallese for damage done by the U.S. nuclear testing program. The United States accepted responsibility for compensation owing to the citizens of the Marshall Islands for loss or damage to property and person of the citizens of the Marshall Islands. At present, there are three separate health care programs for citizens of the Republic of the Marshall Islands. There is a program of general health care for all citizens for which the Marshallese government is solely responsible. There is a four-at-all program which is run by the Marshallese, but funded by the United States at about two million a year. The atolls that benefit from this program are Bikini, Inuitok, Rongelap, and Utrecht. And there is the continuation of the Brookhaven program, which is responsible for medical monitoring and care related to radiation exposure. The Lawrence Livermore National Laboratory conducts environmental surveys as part of the Brookhaven program whose total cost is about six million a year. The funding for this entire program is discretionary and can be reduced or eliminated by Congress. Conclusions about the Marshallese The United States has a special responsibility to care for the radiation-related illnesses of the exposed Marshallese because of its role as trustee and because it caused the exposures. As best the advisory committee can determine, it is carrying out this responsibility well. Treatment has been provided as needed for acute effects, monitoring continues to this day, and latent radiation effects have been identified early and treated. The research conducted between 1954 and today consisted mainly of blood and urine tests and procedures to measure radiation with little or no additional risk to the subjects. Overall, these tests seem to have been related to patient care, although two instances of minimal-risk non-therapeutic research have been identified. The committee found no evidence that the initial exposure of the Rungalapes or their later relocation constituted a deliberate human experiment. On the contrary, the committee believes that the AEC had an ethical imperative to take advantage of the unique opportunity posed by the fallout from Bravo to learn as much as possible about radiation effects in humans. Nevertheless, the inherent conflicts posed by combining research with patient care could perhaps have been reduced by clear separation of the two activities and clear disclosure to the subjects. For the most part, consent for test and treatment appears to have been neither sought nor obtained. Although lack of consent for minimal risk procedures performed on a patient population was not atypical for the time, see Chapter 2, the committee believes efforts should have been made to ensure that the people being monitored and treated understood what was being done to them and why, and their permission should have been sought. While cultural and linguistic differences made communication with the Marshallese difficult at first, the advisory committee believes the situation continued for much too long. As a consequence, dietary differences and other eating habits were not recognized and may have led to higher exposures among some members of the population. Cultural differences may also have resulted 
in an inadequate accounting of adverse reproductive outcomes. Certainly, differences in pace and lifestyle contributed to a perception by the Marshallese that they were being told what to do rather than asked. The advisory committee was unable to determine whether the early medical teams should have been more aware of such cultural differences, but they do appear to have been slow to learn. The BNL medical team was constrained by instructions from the U.S. government to restrict its activities to treatment and research related to radiation-related illnesses. General medical care was held to be the responsibility of the trust territory government. However, there was no adequate medical service available to refer other complaints to, so the BNL physicians were put in an awkward situation where, as doctors, they felt obliged to treat conditions that were presented to them. The lack of clear lines for general medical care in the early years of the program seriously compromised relations with the Marshallese. Since the Marshall Islands were a trust territory, both general medical care and care for radiation injuries were ultimately the responsibility of the United States, and the care of individuals should not have suffered as a result of bureaucratic confusion. Thus, the committee recommends the expansion of the BNL program in the 1970s to include general health care and the U.S.-supported Four Atoll program that went into effect after the Compact of Free Association was approved in 1986. It may be, depending on factors such as food chain and other environmental exposure levels, that certain mid-range atolls such as Iluk and Likiep also merit inclusion. End of section 63